Thank you for subscribing to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. Parkway Fellowship, commonly referred to as The Park, is a purpose-driven church in Katy, Texas, recognized for its innovation and rapid growth. Designed for the person who might not be used to attending church, The Park, one of the only purpose-driven churches in the area, has quickly become one of the most popular West Houston churches for people new to their faith, to church, or to living in the Katy area. It is our prayer that God changes your life through this message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship, and I'm really glad you're here today um, for this next uh, installment in our series called Stories. Um, you know, a few years ago, it became uh, vogue in church world to um, have a female as a head pastor. Um, and then if a church already had um, its head pastor in place, then it became vogue to take his wife and allow her to be like the co-pastor. And um, anyway, Amy and I were driving to the airport oh, a few months ago and we, we passed a big billboard that said, you know, Reverend and Mrs. So-and-so pastors. And I turned over to Amy and I, and I, and I said, I said, hey, hon. How about we make like a big billboard like that for the park? And we'll put Mike and Amy McGowan pastors on it. And, and so she hit me in the arm. <laughs> and I said, oh, come on, honey. It'll be great because then you'll be known as the first lady of Parkway Fellowship. <laughs> and so she hit me again. And so... <laughs> And you know, for those of you that know my wife, I mean, she's so humble. She would never want her face or her name plastered over any kind of billboard anywhere for people to see. She would never want anything like that at all. She would never, she would hate that idea. (laughs) All right. So anyway, (laughs) all right. Now look, I don't have, I don't have any kind of problem with like female head pastors or, you know, co-pastors or anything like that. But for some people in our society, um, it feels very politically incorrect. And if it feels politically incorrect for some people in our society, that is nothing compared to what it was like in Old Testament biblical society. It's nothing compared to the story that we're going to read today. Because in the Old Testament, in the Bible, that society was so incredibly patriarchal. The men had all the rights. Women had no rights, they had no voice, they had no standing politically or economically, uh, they, they had no vote, no representation, no nothing. In fact, it was so patriarchal that when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, they, when they built the temple, they also built an outer court called the Court of the Women and it was outside the main temple area. So, and, that, and that was as far as the women could go. So literally, they were on the outside looking in. I mean, it would be as if we like roped off a section out in the parking lot and said, okay, ladies, that's as close as you can come. Okay. Now, obviously, we didn't do that because if I tried, I'd have to answer to the first lady of Parkway Fellowship. So, uh, but anyway, but I'm telling you, it was, that, it was that pervasive. Now, here's why this is a big deal. It's a big deal because following Christ is as politically incorrect as you can get. 
Now, if you just want to use the term, you know, like Christian, or you want to have a cross on a necklace or on a ring, like, I think that's okay. I don't think anybody's going to care. But when you make a stand for Christ, that is when people begin to have an issue. That's when it causes problems with your neighbors, with friends, with coworkers, with other students at your school, people in society, sometimes even within our own families. Students, when you make a stand for Christ, that's when it stops like being cool or acceptable to become a Christ, to be a Christian. That's when it begins to cause problems for you as far as the culture of your school is concerned. When we make that stand for Christ, that is when people begin to judge us. That is when they begin to um, second guess our decisions. That is when they begin to look down on us. That's when, that's when, when they stop respecting us. When you have to make that type of a stand. Well, there's going to come a time for each of us in this room when we are going to have to make a stand. There's going to come a time for everybody in this room when you're going to, have a, you're going to face a choice. And it's either going to be make a stand for Christ or conform to the culture. And through the centuries... People who have made a stand for Christ have had to make some very politically incorrect stances and choices. And so then the question for us becomes, well, what do I do so that when I come to that point of decision, I can choose to make the stand for Christ and not fold? How do I do that? Well, thankfully, God gives us some guidance here. And he gives us some guidance through the story of Deborah. Because Deborah was a female that God appointed to be the judge of Israel. Now, you remember from some of our past talks in this series that a judge um, wasn't a king, because kings weren't in place yet. But a judge was the political and military leader of the nation. And so they would carry standards just like this into battle. Now, Deborah was the only biblical example of a female that ever led the nation of Israel, ever in the Bible. In fact, in the history of the nation of Israel, there's only been one other female leader of the country, and that was Golda Meir when she was elected prime minister in 1969. Other than that, that's it. There haven't been any other women at all. And so when we look at this story today, I mean, can you imagine the pressure that Deborah was under? Can you imagine the scrutiny? Can you imagine how many people second-guessed her decisions? The resentment that the men in that culture had. How they pretty much just kind of looked down their nose at her all the time. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to have been her? To have been able to make that kind of stand that goes totally against the flow of her culture. And so from Deborah, we can learn an awful lot about how to make a stand for what God has called you to do versus what the culture is pressuring 
you to do. So, that said, go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. What can I do to prepare myself to make a stand, even if it's politically incorrect? Well, here's the first thing, and that's this. Don't be afraid to go against the flow. Don't be afraid to go against the flow. Let's start the story of Deborah here. It's in Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After Ehud died, remember we talked about Ehud two weeks ago. The Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Haggaim. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. And I want you to underline all of verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. Verse 5. She held court under the palm of Deborah between, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their dispute settled. And we've already talked about how Deborah was the only woman to lead the country of Israel in the Bible. And I mean, it was basically a man's world. And for her to lead, it, was a, it, it went against the flow of everything that society thought or accepted. But look, God called her to do it, and so she did it, right? And look, there's likely going to be many things in your life that God is going to call you to do. They're going to go countercultural. They're going to go against the flow of everything that our culture says. I mean, it's going to happen for you. I can promise you this. Because look, the pressure that the rest of society puts on us to conform, to yield, to, to go with that kind of flow, I mean, it is enormous. And so if, if you and I, if we don't decide ahead of time that we are going to follow Christ and do what God calls us to do, no matter what, when that moment of pressure comes and the culture exerts its pressure on us, we're very likely to cave in. Not to mention the fact that we have a sinful nature that just kind of wants to do those things anyway. So then, what, is, what, what might God ask us to do? And how can I maybe prepare ahead of time to make this happen? Okay? Because here's the thing, if you don't decide ahead of time, you're not going to follow him. It, it, the pressure is just too great. I mean, it just is. And there's a lot of things that God might ask you to do. Let me give you some for instances, okay? For instance, God calls you to tithe. Who in the world gives 10% of their income to God? I mean, who can really afford to do that with all this stuff in the world that we need to have? Well, you know, there's about 140 to 160 families in this church that do it every single month. It can be done. What about if God says to cut, you need to cut out certain behaviors that you already know that he wants you to stop, but culture says are fine. What about if God asks you to change your music? Maybe God says, don't go see rated R movies anymore. Because if our secular culture says that there's stuff in this movie is so bad, it is so, it, it is so inappropriate that literally nobody under 17 should see it. If the culture says that, I wonder what stand Christians should take for their own lives. I'm just saying. 
All right, let me see if I can offend some more people. Here we go. What if God calls you to come back early from vacation so you can be a part of church? I already know one family in our church that that is their regular commitment. They already do that. What if God says, what if God says this, says, hey, don't sleep with someone until you're married. Actually, God does say that. Don't sleep with someone. I'm going to tell you, that is, this is so common. It, I mean, it breaks my heart. And honestly, it's not just accepted in our culture. Truly, it's expected in our culture. But to make a stand for Christ, you have to go countercultural and not be afraid. What if God tells you to cut down the alcohol? And maybe for some of you, he'll tell you to cut it out completely. Would you be willing to do it? What if he says to clean up your language? What if he says to make right some broken relationships? What if he says to help someone who can't possibly repay you? Would you do it? What if he says to drive the speed limit? What if he says to be committed to not having any debt? What if he says, hey, I want you to give your life to go into full-time Christian ministry vocation? It's a big commitment. Would you do that? I love how Proverbs 29, 25 basically sums up this whole train of thought. Look at it there. It says this. It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. But if you trust the Lord, you're safe. Isn't that an incredible verse? I mean, look, to make a stand, you have got to be willing to go against the flow of culture. You know, the problem is, is that we live in our culture. And a lot of times, the current of our culture, it's flowing this way, and it just carries us along. Sometimes we don't even realize it, okay? That's why it's so important. That we adhere to this. Because this is an anchor. This always points us back to where we should go. This Bible and what God says in it, this holds the line. And is not influenced by culture. And so this becomes critically important for us. And we cannot be afraid to follow it. No matter what everybody else is doing. It just doesn't matter what they're doing. And Deborah did it. And then there's a second thing we learn from Deborah. And honestly, it it follows the same line of thought, except it raises the bar. Okay, number two, here it is. Follow, I need to follow what God says, even if I'm the only one. I need to follow what God says, even if I am the only one story continues in verse 6. Here it is. She, this is Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh of Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and hand him into your hands. Barak said to her, Well, I mean, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I'll go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Now, can you imagine that culture, like how, like, insulting that would sound? Okay. 
So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, let me pause right here because we just didn't have room to print all this. Um, they, anyway, they go into battle. The Israelites totally wipe out Sisera's army. Not a single person survives except Sisera. And Sisera escapes. Okay? Now watch what happens. Verse 17. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of, he, of Heber, the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So they entered her tent. She put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. Check this out. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg. Maybe something that looked a little bit like this, okay? Picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I mean, there's really cool stories in the Bible, man. You got to read this stuff for yourself, all right? So, now, let me ask you a question. Without looking, nobody look. Everybody look at right here, right here, everybody, right here. What was the name of Israelite's of the, of the general of the Israelites' army. What was his name? Just, 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 don't say it out loud. Don't give away to your neighbors. Do you remember his name? Most people don't. His name was Barak. Most everybody remembers about J.L. and Sisera and the tip peg, okay? That's what everybody remembers. And you know why you don't remember his name? Well, first off, because, like, this is, like, so, like, graphic. And so we always remember, like, all the gross stuff. The second reason why most people don't remember is because God said the honor was going to go to a woman and not to Barak. Why? Because he was so filled with fear, he was unwilling to make a stand and obey God if he was the only one. He was too scared and unwilling to do it by himself. And so, you know what? God had planned to honor him as the victor in the battle. But he did not get to enjoy the fullness of God's blessing in his life. Because he was not willing to follow God, even if he was the only one. You know, the exact same thing and principle applies to us today. If you and I aren't willing to follow God's commands to follow his plans, his guidelines for how to live our lives, then the truth is, if we're not willing to, we willingly relinquish part of God's intended blessing for our lives. Just like Barak did. If we're not willing to follow God, even if we're the only one, part of the blessing and, and, and favor that God has for our lives we're, not, we're never going to get to enjoy it because we just allow ourselves to get carried away by the culture of the world and are unwilling to make a stand even if we're the only one. Does that make sense? I've written a prayer for you. I want you just to follow along as I read it. 
Because this is the type of strong commitment it takes to make a stand even alone in our culture. Let me just read it. Even if I am the only one, even if I am the only one in all of my school, in my office, in my neighborhood, in this city, if I am the only one that follows you, then I will still follow. I won't back down. I won't dumb down your standards. I won't compromise. I won't wilt in the face of pressure. I won't fold in the face of ridicule or odd stares. My obedience is not predicated on what others think or say. It is only based on what you tell me is the standard for how to live my life. I won't go the way of Barak, who was filled with fear. I will go the way of Jael. And anything that tries to come into my life that is not of you, I will nail it to the floor. I won't compromise. Because I want my life to matter. I want to be remembered for following you. And even if I am the only one, then so be it. That is a bold stance. Would you be willing to make it? Maybe you take this prayer and you cut it out and you tape it on your mirror at home. Maybe you pray it every day for a week. Whatever it takes for you. Now, let me just give you a little side note. Today, we're still signing up for our summer small groups. Do you know what that means? That means that you're not the only one. Did you know that in two weeks, we have already had more than 900 people sign up for a small group at Parkway Fellowship? Over 900 people. In fact, if you have already signed up for a small group, I want you to raise your hand and put it in the air. Keep it in the air for just a second. All right, keep it up. Those of you that have not signed up for a small group, look around you. You should be feeling a little pressure. All right, put them down. Look, here's the thing. When you go to a small group, you realize, you know what? I'm not the only one that's following Christ. I'm not the only one that's committed to him. I'm not the only one that's trying to grow. I'm not the only one that is trying to make a stand against the, uh, a, a, a wave of culture that is coming my way and that it is never going to stop. But it doesn't matter if it never stops because I'm not moving. I'm making my stand and I'm following him. And he's given me the strength to do it just as he's given the strength to everybody else. And I'm, I'm really not in it alone. But you know what? Even if you were, the standard's the same. And that's the pr- predicament Deborah found herself in. And it's what she did. All right, number three. Here we go. Let's wrap it up. Number three. Follow God fully, not half-heartedly. You know, follow God fully, not half-heartedly. Sisera was the commander of the Canaanites, that's the enemies of Israel, and the Canaanites, unbelievably, were supposed to have been driven out of the country by the Israelites 100 years earlier when Joshua and crew came into the promised land for the first time. They were supposed to wipe out all the inhabitants and send them out, but they didn't. They did, they wiped out some of them, but not 
all of them. This whole scenario, this whole war, this whole 20 years of oppression, none of it should have ever happened. And the only reason it did was because the Israelites didn't follow God fully. They were only partially obedient. And so rather than, you know, fighting enemies from outside their borders, they had to be concerned with fighting enemies from within their land. And I can guarantee you that if they had known what it was going to cost them, what it was going to cost their children, and what it was going to cost their grandchildren, way back in Joshua's day, I can guarantee you they would have made different decisions. They would have been fully obedient to God from the start. Not surprisingly, the same is true for us. When we don't follow God fully, fully follow God, not, not following God part of the way, not following God most of the way, not following God like 95% of the way, but if we don't fully follow God, it causes problems for us later on in life. And maybe it even affects our children. Maybe it affects our grandchildren. And so God, he says, hey, when I ask you to do something, I expect you to do it all the way. Not part of the way, all of the way. You know, if God says, hey, stop smoking. And you cut down to like only you know, like one cigarette a day. Well, you know, I mean, that's better than two packs a day. But that's not following God fully. You see what I'm saying? If God tells you to read the entire New Testament, you read all of it but the last chapter. That's good. But that's not following God fully. If God asks you to give a person in need 100 bucks and that you know that person cannot pay you back and you only give them 95, that's not following God fully. God asks you to follow him fully. Look, if you don't follow God 100%, then you're not guaranteed 100% of God's blessing. It's not like if you follow him 90%, then you get 90% of God's blessing. That's not how it works. It's when you follow God fully, that's when you get the full blessing that God has for you. Because look, if you don't follow him 100%, it's like leaving enemies in the land. Eventually, they multiply and come back to haunt you. That's the scenario here. But because of Deborah's Full obedience. Full obedience. Look at how things end up for her. Judges 5.31. Then the land had peace 40 years. You see, for Deborah, there was a lot more at stake than just her. Her decisions to follow God fully affected everybody around her. They literally affected an entire nation of people. And likewise, your decisions don't affect just you. They affect your spouse. They affect your kids. They will affect your grandkids. Decisions you make today will affect your grandkids in later decades. I'm telling you, they do. They will. They did for Joshua way back 100 years later. He had no idea what would happen. I know people in our church that have made a commitment literally to every single standard that I've mentioned throughout this sermon today. And do you know what those people all have in common? None of them ever have any regrets. As I've talked to them, none of them ever have any, any regrets about being generous. They don't regret 
going this way when everybody else is going that way. They don't regret not going to see certain movies. They don't regret giving up certain habits and practices that other people think are socially acceptable. They don't regret any of that because they know the immense amount of peace and happiness that comes into life as a result. They don't regret reading too much of the Bible. They don't regret following his word. They don't regret hearing his voice guide them through life. They don't regret any of that. But they get to enjoy all of that because they're not afraid to follow God, no matter what anybody else might think or say. They would follow him even if they're the only one, and sometimes they are. And then they, they follow God fully, not just partially. Do you see all that fits together? And for Deborah, that's the example of the types of commitments we have to make if we're going to live that kind of life. Because if, if you do, then you will have peace in your heart and in your soul, just like they had in their land. Make sense? Okay. So, I want you to pull out your connection card. I want you to hold it right next to your message notes. I want you to make the commitment or commitments that you feel like God is asking you to make today. Maybe it's this first one. I know at least one thing the Lord is leading me to do or to, or to stop, to do or to stop in order to go against the flow of my culture. And I commit now to follow through with what he is leading me to do. I know it's like really long, but you get it. Would you be willing to make, I mean, just that one thing, whatever that one thing is, you, are, you know what it is. It's that one thing you've been, you've been trying to justify now for the last 15 minutes. That's what it is. So whatever that is, that's what number one applies to. All right, number two. I commit to follow God even when it seems I am the only one. This is basically a change in your posture and, and you're uh, saying, you know what? I don't even care what everybody else says and what they're doing. That, that, is, that is no factor any longer in any decision I make. It's only what does God say? That's the type of commitment number two is. You're willing to make that type of just paradigm shift in your mind? Number three, sign me up for a small group this summer. Come join the other 900 plus of us that have already signed up for a small group. There's a small groups catalog in your bulletin. Small groups start a week from today. So this is a great time to get signed up if you haven't done so. Um, Put the code on that line. Or this next one, sign my teenager up for a small group this summer. Make sure you put their teenager's name, because we don't always know the names of everybody's teenagers, and then put the code for the youth small group. There's a youth small group in here. Make sure that gets on there as well. Listen, if you check either one of these boxes, make sure you fill out the front of the card that has your name and your email. We can't sign you up if we don't know who you are, okay? So make sure that's on there. All right, how about this next one? I will obey God fully and not half-heartedly. That when God tells you to do something, you're going to do it all the way through, not 95%, not even 99%, 100%. This next one. I will memorize Proverbs 29, 25. This is an incredible verse. Everybody should memorize it, especially if you are under 18 years old. But everybody should. It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. 
But if you trust in the Lord, you are safe. I'm not sure anybody could say it better than that. This last one. I want to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Maybe you've been thinking about becoming a Christ follower for a while. It doesn't matter what other people might think of you if you do. It only matters what he thinks of you. And he loves you and wants you to accept his son into your life and follow him from this day forward. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. If you've never prayed that prayer before, pray it today. But check the box because I want to send you some free stuff in the mail to help you get started. I also want you to pick up a new believer packet. It's on a little table just before you walk outside of each of these doors. Pick one up on your way out. Let me pray for you as Pat and the worship team come back. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word, for the truth of this message, and for the life that Deborah lived. Thank you, God, that she was willing to follow you the way she did. No regrets, no hesitation, no pause in her step. And I pray for those in this room right now, Father, that are wrestling in their heart with what it would mean to follow you, that are feeling the weight of the conviction of your Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would just, you would help them to take that leap of faith to say, you know what, politically incorrect, I don't care. I'm gonna follow. And that they would know the freedom and the joy and the peace that comes with living a life fully committed to you. I pray that you would bless them for their decision. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. Our prayer is that God has given you at least one next step to take today in your walk with Christ. For more information about Parkway Fellowship or to contact us, visit www.parkwayfellowship.com. To talk with a pastor about becoming a Christ follower for the first time, you can call our offices at 832-222-9282. 